previously on Drinks with Tony. Scott Southern. But I was yeah. married for so long. Yeah. When you start out as the horror guy. The irony probably of swallowing sperm than having their picture taken. What is it like to get the... Be afraid. And, uh, and you know... Now that you spend um, a lot of time going down there. Anyone who wants, wants to be a writer, I recommend that. I'm sorry, okay. Being on the show. Thank you, thank you. I've enjoyed it. It's been great. Yeah, hi, I'm Jay London and I'm here with Tony for drinks with Tony. No. See how hard it is to hold the mic? When you, when you weren't holding the mic, then... So how does it go again? I, oh, you, you're listening. So you say your name. Hi, Jay London. Put it all together, though. Yeah, so, all right. Just say, hi, I'm Jay London, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. So, yeah. Do you need someone to line review this? No, no. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Hi, this is Jay London, and, and this is Drinks with Tony. Drinks with Tony. It's Drinks with Tony. It's I-T and then apostrophe S. It's Drinks with Tony. Thank you very much. Thank you. Leave it like that. That's great. Oh, yeah. Leave it like that. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. Yeah. All right. So, and then I sound professional at first, so don't let this scare you away. It scares me. It scares me away. I, I get, I get a... Um, Nervous when I do it when I sound straight for a minute and we go right back to it yeah. You're listening to drinks with Tony. I'm your host Tony did it <laughs> See, I got nervous. All right You're listening to drinks with Tony. I'm your host Tony Duchesne today on the show. We have Jay London Comedian extraordinaire. How you doing Jay? Just just terrific. I'm doing uh, just terrific as they would say In whatever language. Yes. Why do I feel like you're you're not telling the whole truth? Because I'm really doing terrific, and I'm the only one who knows it. Maybe after a few minutes you'll get to know that I really am not terrific. But go ahead. Okay. So you're making it on me. No, I'm, it's, it, it's a crapshoot. It's a crapshoot. All right, well, this is what... So I came to L.A. about five years ago, and this, this became my local, this cafe. And I would see you around at this cafe. I'd just see you around. So when I saw you around town, I'd yell out my window. I'd be like, yo! And he's like, oh, there's that... There's the guy I kind of don't know. And um, so, so I'm sitting there getting stoned with my friend one night. We're watching a Louis C.K. special. And, uh, and I'm like, I see you and I'm like, I get, me and him get coffee at the same place. I, just, I, I always say hi to that guy every day. Then I, then I say, hey, I didn't know you were a stand-up. You're a, that was fucking funny. And he's like, oh, great, another fan. Thank you. That's right. I take them one by one. Uh, as Rodney Dangerfield once said, if I quit today, I, I'd be the only one to know I quit. Uh, meaning whatever you want it to mean. Uh, yes, I did that Louis C.K. special, and the offering was, was mighty, and I stepped up to the plate in a non-chokeable situation where I really hit my mark. And uh, I couldn't be happy with that. It's, you know, being professional when it, it's time to be professional in the area of uh, creativity. I almost forgot the question. Go ahead. I almost forgot the answer. Oh. <laughs> and, and then uh, talking about that, I did a joke where I go, this is my stepladder. I never knew my real ladder. And then I'm not computer savvy. Uh, and what somebody did, did was uh, siphon, or a few people siphoned my idea and made it into an advertisement. Yeah. So I'm, and this is just yesterday I found out. So I'm, I'm, I guess with a capital I, I'm really irritable about it. I mean, it's like, what what can you do in that situation 
But how, how do you how do you have to? I mean, how are you going to go about it? I guess what's the step first step? I'm I'm a short-lived technical type, meaning I really don't pursue after the fact because the rage is is short term, and then I just figure it out. It's all about fate and you know what things are supposed to be. But I once said if I gave birth to the blues, it would be cesarean. Meaning, I'm so due. I'm due for something on the positive, and all I've been doing in this great town of LA has been really sandwiched and 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 banged out, like a cheap ashtray. I'm just basically an out cheap ashtray. <laughs> See, I knew you'd bring it to a light level. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, we'll see what happens on a technical lawyer-like basis. Because I, I I'm not one who pursues that aspect of you know going out there and hunting for, to sue, but you know, I, 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 it's so hard to come up with creativity at times. And I, 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 and I don't want really to sound like I'm from uptown, but I, I don't need that. I don't need that. I just want purity and honesty, and I, I'm a little baffled by it all here. Well, and I, I think people don't understand when, when a comedian's working on a joke and they're working on it. They, they're working on it constantly trying to fine-tune the wording and the, and the beats. And then you see someone else take your wording, and it... That's got to be like, you're just like, wait a second, who sat there in a boardroom and... Uh, yeah, you know, uh, I, I, I'm I, speechless. You know, I don't want any dead time on this show, but I do a lot of, a lot I of do a lot of sighing. I thought it was a good breathing exercise, you know, yoga-like. I do a lot of sighing. I'm just baffled right now, but hopefully uh, let's move on to something else because I really want to hit a heavy bag right now and I don't have one. So no, so we won't have any violence on this episode. No, no, It'll be a no, no, none. I'm in control. We'll call it a light R. The light R. Yeah. Okay. Because don't they have the hard R? You know those rating systems for the movies. Oh, They're oh, like, oh, we have a hard R. No, no, not no hard R, no soft M, no nothing. Just here to uh, uh, do conversation with with a fellow here who looks like he can do great dissection in the area of uh, comedic surgery or whatever. I don't even know what I'm talking about, but I hope they're listening. <laughs> well, it, well, you know my parents listen. Nice. Yeah. So, and we're stoked about that. And you and you and you you were just um, relaxing with uh, doing a little boxing kind of move there. People, I don't know if people know that you've boxed uh, I, on an amateur level. In fact, my last bout was with depression, <laughs> and I lost, as you can see. Uh, yeah, I, I did that as a as a as a hobby. I mean, I, I should have turned pro and. Got the cartilage out of my nose taken out and been a different weight division, but I, I did that for a few years and I loved it. In New York, not here. Yeah. Under the tutelage of the great Gil Clancy. This is years ago, so you know, I did do that, yes. Then what was the what was this was there a switch to comedy or were you doing them both at the time? Uh no, I I, I was I tried it and experimented. Hey, how you doing? Where you from? That didn't work. Then I went to I looked behind me because you turned away. No, I meant, hey, hi, you know, dear the audience, how you doing? And then one day I was working, a, I guess, a marble-oriented club in Staten Island, and my zipper happened to break, and so I used my suit jacket to camouflage that area. I asked somebody for a jacket, a lavalier, a young lady. So I, that's how I got one of my character traits is always carrying a suit jacket from this little incidental. And I learned everything on stage. I hold a record, I think, at Showtime at the Apollo for being booed off. Really? Like six seconds by the, the Sandman. He's gone. Ralph Coop is gone, the founding father of uh, the Apollo. Yeah. And a great equivalent to uh, uh, Clark Gable as an actor. And look, the great Ralph Cooper. So uh, I held a record. I, the joke was, 
I live in a black neighborhood. Guys call me homeboy. That's because I'm afraid to leave my house. And, and, and they booed me. They booed me. And then I said, because at the time, these young black ladies were wearing these hoop earrings. And I said I was on a train. I couldn't grab onto the strap. So, you know, I grabbed onto her ear. That kind of thing. And I got booed off in record time. And I had to walk. I had to leave that theater like I was under indictment. What year was that in? That's like 19... Wow, 1993, 90-something like that, way back, yeah, some time ago. So I did that. I, I challenged any minority-type club. I always worked the opposites. I worked halfway houses, VA hospital over here in uh, Westwood, I don't know how many times. Uh, the LAMP community is for people, uh, uh, men who go into this transitional period of, I guess, into a certain physical womanhood. Uh, and it was for a National AIDS uh, uh, Foundation called the Lamp Community down on Skid Row. So I've worked every venue from a, uh, a high theatrical presence to to Skid Row, really. Yeah. And I have no regrets, that's where I got my, I got my muscle. I got my inconspicuous benefits along the way to make you better. Right, right. Because um, if, what did I just kind of hear recently? If, if, you're, if you're playing the people who are gonna, you know are going to laugh, then you really, uh, so for some comedians don't feel like they can get to the next level but if you if you go into a crowd where it's not really a crowd that's for you or that would usually la you know they're not booking dudes with your uh, style then those are the nights that you maybe learn more well you again I inconspicuous benefits uh, I, I did a show in Brooklyn a, a great club with Dangerfield David Brenner started the young Billy Crystal the, the group Manhattan transfer they all sat in a place called Pips legendary if they could look that up P.I.P.S. in Sheepshead Bay and I was doing a show, and I would always wear a, hide a cassette somewhere so I can listen to my performance. And I went to perform, and this is a very Brooklyn cuisine, how you doing, Joey, what's going on, Joey-type pinky ring crowd. So I got the tape, and I go home, and I listen to the tape, because I hid it in someone's flowers in, in a front uh, table. And I go home, and a guy, says, guy had said to his girlfriend, wife, whatever, as I'm doing the show, I, I paid for this. Look what this looks like. I should get a refund. I paid for this. Downgrading me to because the, they didn't get what I was doing. Either you get me or you don't get me. And the likability factor, I think, takes only within 10 seconds of hitting a stage. If they're going to ingest and digest or whatever your, your take on things. Audiences can be very brutal or very understanding. It depends on the uh, heading of the situation. And then what brought you? Uh, what brought you from uh, the East Coast to Paradise here, where we sit? In heroin. Heroin. <laughs> no. Well, heroin's better. No, no. What brought me here? I, I actually went to a shaman, Native American Cherokee, uh, Cherokee Native shaman, and he's told me my dreams are in the West, and that was when I was doing so many years of comedy in New York. That's where I'm originally from, and and then I came out here and I got lucky on a, on a show for a year and a half last comic standing i did jay leno uh, king of queens this and that a little ride i had a ride i overemphasized emphasized the word ride and uh everything happened and i made a contract uh, with this young lady you know that to give us each other a year i came up with it and then sure enough that year bypassed and that was the end of her so god bless you so, so through uh gaining some kind of mini type fame uh you know, I lost a, a valuable person. But you're not a therapist, and the world doesn't want to hear about. I, I, did I tell you I'm dating myself now? Did I tell you that? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, after the first date, I told myself I could do better. So I had, so I'm not, and then after the third date, I wanted to see other people. See, I was dating myself. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I understand that. I'm doing the same thing right now. I'm not annoying your audience. Go ahead. See, that's what's really intriguing because you have such a, like the comedian mind is always thinking about the audience. There, there's always, because like, I, cause when I used to do this uh, show, I used to do it in studio. So it was on a radio radio station. And so I would be plugging, you know, I'd, be, I'd ask a question. And if I had a comedian, I'd be like listening on the headphones, but putting in the next breaks, writing in the log as I'm listening. To You knew that they were going to come up with filler? No, no, I just would ask a question. That's how I interviewed people because I was a one-man show in the studio. So, but my my friends who were comedians would come on. They'd be like, right on live air, they'd be like, what are you doing? You're not even listening to me. And I'm like, oh, no, no. And then I have to explain to them on radio, you know, no one um, no one knows that I'm doing all this stuff. We just sound like we're talking. Right. Yeah. But why would I, why did I even talk about that? Oh, because you were concerned about my audience. See, I'm a lot less concerned than you are, I think, right now. I'll tell you why. Just fill in another little sneaky, sneaky thought. Uh, you see, my objective is, I get, and this is a podcast which has gone on to a level, I mean, a proportion, a level of, uh, of notoriety every podcast. Ooh. Right, right. See, I want to do a one-man show. That's my objective. Yeah. But I'm afraid somebody else is going to show up. So... You got your problems, I got mine. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, for the most part, I do this just for selfish reasons. So I can hang out with you and talk. And then if people listen, I, you, great. If they don't, then uh, you'll, you'll be more upset than me, I think. No, I, I, my levels of, of upsetness, it's not even a word. Uh, uh, no, again, I, I, I feel my village was uh, a pillar, uh, pillar t- you know, I just, I... I, I my village was raped and pillaged, you know, when I heard this news about this, right. you know, so, I, you know, so I, I can't be, I'm, I'm angerless. I have no anger, anger, you know, I mean, I don't want to sound redundant. Yeah. I get this thing, even when I do, even when I do this, or if I go to do under people or interview me, it's when I, I go, oh yeah, yeah, great. And then on the day of, it's the last thing I ever want to do in my life. I have no idea why I signed up for it. This. No, just, well, sometimes, yeah, yeah, sometimes this. Actually, I had a little of that where I was like, Oh man, I gotta go. I gotta go do a microphone thing today, you know. And then, but I get there, and then everything's okay. That's kind of my whole life. You haven't, you you haven't self embedded yet. In other words, do you ever see these Komodo dragons? They they're you know they're waiting for a water a water bison to to to, to get stuck in in quicksand. Yeah. And they wait and they wait and they wait until that moment of opportunity so they can go after the, uh, six Komodo dragons can go after this water buffalo and bring them down and there's a dinner. Okay. Uh, what am I trying to say? I don't know. You, that was a good one. Uh, you, you really went first. <laughs> wait a second. Uh, so I, 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 what was the question? Well, I, I think I was just telling you like kind of my process, which has been the process for two decades is I get excited about something. I want to go do it. And I go, yes. So like even excited to go to come see you today. And then I, and then I'm, I get up and I'm like, ah, oh, man, I got to be somewhere at a certain time. Why do I even say yes to this stuff? Then I get here and I'm in the, I'm the, I'm happy as a clam. Yeah. No, well, th- th- that means you, you're, you know, I did a DN, I did that, uh, 23 and me, you know, 23 and me. I, I thought it was a dating service. So, you know, right. I'll bring in dating. Uh, or either that or I found out I was one-eighth hypocrite if I took one of those 
the, the yeah. idea. But the point is, I, I may know what you're going through. How many years have you been applied, applicable to your trade? Uh, to what we're doing exactly right now? Oh, overall creativity, sorry. Oh, um, well, I've been doing, I was doing radio since the 90s. And then, um, and then uh, writing I was doing since the so late 90s. five-year type effect yeah, there. something like that, yeah. Yeah, and that's, I think that's one of the... Uh, strains of, of, of uh, entering into the world of, uh, of, of, of your own creative process that yeah. you're going to this when you become des- the desperado yeah. or the mild-mannered uh, individual under the heading of 10 milligrams of, uh, of Valium yeah. or, uh, or whatever you know you bring up a good point and then well you, I don't know if you brought it up but it came up in my brain Maybe maybe the frustration is because I'm not really getting a lot, any large paydays or a, not many paydays. So when I do do this, I love it. But maybe if there was four hundred dollars at the end of the day, then I, then it would be like, oh wait, I'm not taking time out of my day to um to get food to gather and hunt. Yeah, a gatherer and a hunter. I I was, I was a gatherer for a while. Now I'm I actually am a hunter. Uh, point being that uh, yeah, I know I I know I know what you're going through. I mean, I don't want to sound like. I know better than you or all that, but I understand what you might be going through. Do you have any strains of rage? Did you say strains? Strains of rage. Um, I, I'm... <laughs> strains of rage. Strains. When you have a strain... Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, I don't know. I have to go to the doctor, I guess, and find out. I mean, on a personal level. I mean, you know, where this... It can take such effect where it really... Where you have overspill into the creative... Right. No, I get depressed. I'm I'm the they're guy that gets close. bummed. They're very close. Yeah, yeah. Anger. They're all they're like this. Right. And, and, in fact, I not that I read many books. That creativity is a malady. It is a sickness to be creative. Really, it's a sickness. And depression and anger may run interference with it. I'm not a therapist. But that does kind of make sense because I do get um I I get I tend to get more along with comedians and writers than I do with other people because I, maybe we're all in this weird uh, bubble of trying to create something out of nothing and then are we is it something what are we doing I don't know uh you know if I could just catch a word I I you know I went to a, I did a little ten second film at at Ralph's uh, uh shopping. And I went there with a blue rug wrapped up in a sheet. And I went into the store hysterical that I'm looking for the rug doctor. Yeah. Is he here? The rug doctor, you know, it's something that, you know, it's a, a machine that you right. use. But, I, but, but I'm actually looking for the rug doctor because they had a sign, rug doctor here. Oh. And I said, is he on the premises and this and that. And just to see a reaction from people. So I guess these days, reaction from people if I'm trying to shoot at something for five seconds, just to get reaction. So what's keeping me going these days is reaction. I haven't made sense since the beginning of this interview, but it's nice to be here. <laughs> You're doing great, Jay. You're doing better than me. Reincarnation, as my friend once said. Uh, do, uh, do, do you believe in re- reincarnation? It's nice to see you again. <laughs> I, you know, sometimes I wake up in the morning and I'm like, am I still alive? Or are we still here? Uh, well, I don't want to sound depressing or trying to fill oh, this up. with It's, it's okay. All right. My friend told me to move to Seattle because they have a high suicide rate. He told me to move there to Seattle. So between friends and all. No, I, I, for myself, I, I've been questioning on that, you know, as far as because sometimes you can't get real over, over, overboard with the feeling and all. But um, for, uh, what's the question? Because I don't want to I want to divert this real quick. What was your question? <laughs> what was it about? 
<laughs> you, what you're, I, I love how you're testing my short-term memory because I totally forgot. <laughs> it's even better. It's nice to be here. <laughs> it's nice to have you, Jay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. How long have we been on? I feel like I'm at a therapist. <laughs> I got. I'm gonna put. A, I'm gonna put this. I'm gonna put something over the uh, for the timer there. So we're doing all right. Okay, you're all right on time, right? Yeah, yeah. We're doing good. I usually I usually do about um about 45 minutes or an hour. So so you got another uh, at least 25 minutes to fill here. <laughs> so yeah, as uh, as your interviewer. <laughs> You're there. Um, uh, the last podcast I did was in, in behalf of Mitzi Shore, oh, yeah. the founding grand matriarch of the yeah. comedy store. And uh, so I did an interview. And uh, I thought the interview was going to be a, a little richer in content. Um, and I'm comparing this, so I feel, uh, I, you know, not that I, the guy did a great job, but I'm saying, I guess maybe subject matter, I feel, I'm, I'm a, little, a little looser here. Oh, yeah. You know, I felt real bad in her loss because uh, she was a mighty... A mighty little woman at it, yeah. Mitzi Shore. Yeah, she. People would run from. She came on a Sunday to audition people. They would they would run from her because they knew how direct she was in critique. And I, uh, Andrew Dice Clay, myself, Bobby Lee, we always went up on a Sunday night when she came in, and the other comics would would run because she she would terminate somebody right on the spot and go, "We don't need you anymore." You know, she was very that cold and direct. So I always loved her challenge, and then seeing her. On the Emmys, and they showed up people, you know, and, and Memorial, people who passed away in the year. Yeah. And there she was, and it, it was quite uh, touching. So I'm spending 30 seconds on Mitzi Shore. Because yeah. she was a tough, tough, great little woman there in the area of of uh, managing and processing and knowing who, what she wanted. Yeah. So did she have critiques for you? I mean, when I first came out here, I mean, I, I had a spot every night. I was like the... You know, I thought, uh, wow, I, 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 I was uncomfortable with the, the generosities oh, yeah. of going on every night, you know. And then it's it just, the, I think it was a time when the comedy store was not thriving as it does now. We, you know, when it would be bitter, cold nights and Harris Pete, the doorman, would be at the front and it would be, you know, a short amount of people, uh, you know, as far as volume. So I remember those days, um, you know, so I'm just, for some reason she popped into my head. So on Mitzi Shore. I mean, well, the comedy, <clears throat> comedy, comedy store is legendary. I mean, that's. I mean, if you're a comedian in L.A., you do the comedy store. Yeah, the ultimate is to get your name on the wall. Yeah. They have a wall, you know, and that's that's high tribute yeah. to the comic, you know. So, and she discovered, you know, the, the likes of Jim Carrey and uh, uh, Roseanne Barr, and yeah. he housed there David Letterman and Jay Leno, and yeah. I guess it was a very fertile time. So when you came in, it was uh, it was like mid '90s or something like that. Uh, no, it was 2000, man. 2000. I, yeah, yeah, and it became uh, uh, 2001. You know where I, I mean, I, I, you know, it was just a whole different. It turned into a whole different regime within a, a year, and then things changed, whatever. And I was inconsistent too at the times, at times. So if you're inconsistent and you're not doing well for that allocated time. You know, you can get a rep of somebody who can't finish the job. But yet I did. But I would get too deep. Yeah. I'd get too deep, deep yeah. on, on, on an audience, uh, you know, so. Right. And plus, at the, <clears throat> the stores uh, has a, a lot of tourists are coming through. So, the, so they're looking. Lighthearted stuff. Yeah. Right. Sex, sex, and give me more sex. Right. Sex, sex, and more sex. Right. And I, 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 the, the worst I say is that, may I say it? If I, yeah. 
do you think female fish suffer from vaginal dryness? That's about as filthy as I get. I'm not a filthy type. Do you, do you, do you usually not swear on your show? I mean, when you're up there? Sometimes if it doesn't go right, I think about five minutes ago where we talked about that couple in Brooklyn at Pips. Yeah, yeah. I would sometimes go to a wall if it didn't go right and talk to the wall and go, I fucking paid for this. I imitate that guy talk, and, and I'm talking to a wall. Trying to trying to create another little space, yeah. you know, because it, a, 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 a character can become too sugarized or just too much. So sometimes I, I lean back yeah. and I try to do different things. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, that's it. That's a trip. And just um, and have and I mean you're you're doing the, you're doing the extra you've done the exercising for over two decades. So it's all you're working that part of the brain that. A lot of people don't access. I only hope to keep working. Uh, I'm not here to talk about Mamala and my mommy's boy or a mother's mother's son or whatever all that stuff there. My mom has been ill the last year and changed, so I've been commuting back from California here to New York. And with that, so I haven't been on stage as I should. You know, I mean more often. But we'll see what happens. And I got to I got to find management and and get back on the road. Yeah, um, now I get not getting on stage as much. Is does that? Does that just make I like when I'm not writing? If I like if I miss writing for a day, I'm not a fun person to be around. So I don't know if that's the same with comedy. That's your well, that's your you know it's it's a lifeline. Yeah. As I, you know I, I I'm frustrated if I creatively I mean I don't want to sound like a, what's his name who became so frustrated, the the author of Old Man in the Sea. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah, you know the way he was he had a creative void for how many years? A while, yeah. And then he you know, he, you know I. Then he did it. Yeah, but the point is that, you know, sometimes I think creativity as you get older starts to wane. Really? Well, for me. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm a wordsmith and I'm running out of words. I, I have a feeling this is this is what I've been coming to grips with. You know, as I, as I come to the end of my 40s and I'm, I'm, you know, and I have my little crises here and there and I and I and I've been thinking about that and I've been thinking you know what I don't think um, I don't like the broad strokes of creativity you know when you're in your 20s and everything's available and you're just like yeah all right let's go let's go they're that they're that but then when when you start to hone in on one then you just keep picking at it and picking at it and so you kind of get that you get your voice you get your vibe down you just pick and pick and pick I I I it is it's dissecting Uh, shaving dissecting uh, disassembling it, putting it back together, looking for rhythm and that fine. It's like a tale of two cities. The the, the female, the the woman that used to just knit. It's there's a lot of knitting involved. I think when you're dealing with a creative process, the knitting and the final stitch. Right. That sounds good. Yeah. That sounds good. Final stitch. Sure. <laughs> I mean, you got to keep that in for your bi- for your autobiography. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, it's about review. It's imploding, then rebuilding, and and finding that that idea that comes out of nowhere, that unconscious nugget. Yeah. I look for unconscious nuggets. Yeah. You know, uh, it's just uh, something that hits me, yeah. and it works. I told the audience the, uh, the other night there that I uh, I enjoy taking long naps before I go to sleep. You know, and it's not all that funny, but then when I tried it, it actually worked. Yeah. So sometimes when you or you don't think, oh, you know that Christmas song, Do You Hear What I Hear? Do you hear what I hear? Do you, do you have any idea? 
So if I come off nutty from the beginning, I have to remain nutty. Yeah, yeah. If I, I was told to, re, I, excuse me, I was told to regroom and do a makeover and this and that. But, you know, especially through family, that's why you went nowhere. Yeah, nowhere. You know why you're nowhere? Because look at you. There's no difference between who you are on stage. Who you? Who are you? And you hear that badgering, and, and you know, and it's, you got to vacate sometimes. Man, uh, so so I, you're serious about doing a one-man show and putting that together? Well, I was. There's another promise. I met a top-flight guy that deals with the likes of uh, Tiffany Haddish. He's a young black aspiring top ten million. Well, okay. anyway. <laughs> He right. What's the ten million? Is that her like YouTube hits or something? Oh, the money she's making. Oh, okay. yeah. And I remember we just did uh, at the uh, Left Factory for the homeless on Christmas. They dole out five different uh, schedules for Turkey. Yeah. Jamie Masada at the Left Factory. Right. So I happened to see her there, and then I hooked. Up, I thought I was going to get hooked up with a certain unit, and then I went for coffee, and then this, and then I don't want to get Jewish, but Viv Vase. Vives to the world means like what's happening. Never call me back. Call twice. I can't. I can't call people three times, man. So that was you know. And I thought I was gonna you know do a thirty-minute special, uh, you know, dealing with my comedy to certify you know that I'm finally here as a uh, some kind of comedic entity. Right. So that's my goal. That 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 dissolved. Why, why, why do you think it dissolved? I mean, couldn't you start work? Uh, couldn't you start working on it, like I on your own? Trying to work on it. I mean, uh, what I, uh, I I wrote a song with my friend Steve Brown called "Some Get the Elevator, Some Get the Shaft," and it's real high-powered funk, and this and that, and almost had a record deal with Fourth and Broadway, which was a subdivision of Island Records and and and, and Robert Palmer's and uh, uh, the guy from Chic. Uh, uh, Edwards, Dennis, I think, you know, all these high end, uh, and I wrote this novelty song lyrically and some input melodically and this and that. And uh, I'm definitely going to put that because when you would hear the song and then you would see me and then how it starts, you go, what? Because yeah. you're seeing this hard hitting, not Rick James like, but r- real obscure funk. And then, then you see me, you know, it's so there's a, there's a nice shift. So I'd love to fill that up within yeah. a 30 minute. Uh, content. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I'd be at that show. I, I still haven't seen you live. I can't believe it. It's crazy. Well, you're not going to see much. Well, it, I mean, I don't. I think you just never tell me. Where I'm like, hey, Jay. Yeah, well, I've been run, running back and forth, not to use it as an oh, excuse. Right, right. And I really haven't had solid dates. So I was over here at this wonderful place called the best taco place in all of Ensenada. Oh, yeah, yeah. On two, every other Tuesday, we're holding a show. They do that outside. Yeah. Well, they're inside, but yeah, and I, I'm, I'm a, the, the owner. I'm not here to sound, I love using this word braggadocious. I don't want to sound braggadocious, but he kind of thinks I'm the best that ever walked in that place there. And he, and there's a multitude of different comics in this and that. So that was nice to hear. And then I work, maybe Palamos I'll be at, right here on on oh, Thursday. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have to force feed myself to go there, but I'm looking to go there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just working on this, basically a seven minute late night spot and this one man show. Did I tell you I joined an airline's dating service? Did I tell you that? Well, the stewardess said she would meet me in 1,800 hours, right? I said three months is too long. See, because 1,800 hours is about three months. That's good. That, but I, I can see an audience uh, trying to figure that one out for a while. Sure, that's why I'm on a park bench right now. I'm just joking with you, playing with you, man. It's nice to be interviewed. It's, it's therapeutic, too. It's good for the ego. 
Yeah, you got it. And then um, but we had to switch around this whole podcast because you're like on a podcast tour today and the, tomorrow, right? I'm supposed to do something yeah. for the Tweezy uh, twee- and, well, yes, I am. I don't know if I should advertise it, but I'm to, it's, uh, yeah. I don't know if you know Bobby Lee has a brother uh, in comedy. Yeah. Yes, so it's called the, uh, excuse me. You write in Arabic. Is that Arabic? Yeah, well, I stopped at the airport for this handwriting. I swear to God, but I had a TSA. Yeah, in Kennedy Airport. Yeah, they want to know what this was. I had like five different books. I wouldn't make it up. Uh, it's called the uh, Stevie uh, Stevie BB Stevie BB podcast, and that's uh, tomorrow. I think at eight o'clock at night. Oh, well, where do they tape that? Uh, Orange uh, West. Uh, I give it the uh, over here on Orange Drive, right by In and Out Burger, over here in Hollywood Boulevard. See, if you saw something like this, this is what I got stopped for. This kind of handwriting. And this, I mean, I thought my handwriting was bad. I thought my handwriting was bad. This, this is another language. A lady in a white shirt, TSA, stopped me and said, what country I came from, where'd you come from? Yeah. I've also got stopped at the airport, for, the, and, and the, I believe it's the wing puffer room. The wing puffer room over in Dallas. Uh, that's to check you for gun residue. Jesus. <laughs> I had a lot of incidentals, not a lot, but they were, you know, put in a special line, sometimes mistaken for the shoe bomber way back. Oh, Uh, really? Yeah, that's when I got stuff for a gun. They put a, you're in a disco lit, blue lit photo mat kind of thing, and then they they put uh, some kind of alcohol or whatever on your thumbs or whatever, and they check you for uh, gun residue. What kind of world are we in? Remember the day when they used to smoke on planes and you could just walk right up? Nothing. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I, you know, you know, I, the plane. I, I don't know what to talk about planes. Anything about planes? Do I have any material about planes? <laughs> I don't think. It, I don't think any comedians do. I'm really sorry. I threw. I threw you a curveball yeah, there. Kind of really throw me off planes. Anything about planes? No. Nothing. Well, you know, no. Did you say? Oh, so did you say you were on that show, King and Queens? Yeah, I did a little part. We started out together, Kevin James and his brother Gary Valentine. Yeah, yeah. His brother on that show is his real brother. Uh, that's you know the one who plays a United Parcel. Oh, yeah, I played a guy who uh, had OCD at a at a basketball uh, game, and and I don't want to give up my seat, and he tries to bribe me, Kevin James. Okay. And I kept telling him I'm 498, I can't give it up. I'm 498. I kept looking at the ticket. Oh yeah. It was like typecasting, you know. It was pretty good. Yeah. And I saw Tootsie today. I wish I could play that character, man. Oh, I've never seen that movie either. Adorable. Yeah. Uh, Sidney Pollack, great director, yeah. and great time. And it was a great time in the 80s. Yeah, you know, yeah. and a, what an innocent, innocent love-filled movie. Yeah. And how he, how he p- pulled it off. I love pulling things off. Yeah. So that's that. I need to watch that. See, I grew up a Jehovah's Witness kid, so I couldn't watch R-rated movies. And so I really have to catch up on a lot of culture, like up till a certain point. Still, I have to catch up. Right. Are, are you from the Utah area? No, that's Mormon. Oh, that's so, Mormon. Yeah, yeah. Jehovah Witness, they knock on your door. They knock, I did, yeah. That used to be and 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 the uh, the tower tower watchtower. the watchtower I used to in the Bronx at one time that was a big deal I mean oh, they, that's what they, they, they would the also door. no they would also knock on doors you know the the, the watchtower or whatever yeah, yeah. They knock on the door and say you know like have you ever thought about living on a paradise earth that that was one of my openers when I was like eight or nine years old <laughs> really so you were taught young oh yeah and it, it was terrible because I would be I would see kids from school you know and they'd be like what are you doing with the, the Bible they would call it Jeho- well, I, I, th- I saw you Jehovah walking and I just it, th- that is, that's essentially how I got here 
<laughs> no, here we are. <laughs> a journey. In fact, I fill this in. Why not with Jehovah? Just even the playing. Uh, I uh, I had a religious experience in my home the other day. My first, one of my first religious experiences. Yes, I, I converted from oil to gas heat. When is this over? Soon. Oh no, we got a we got a long time to go. I told you I taped for five hours, right? Yeah. Any stimuli involved? <laughs> no. Anyway, uh, this is nice. You know, it gives me a chance to speak. Yeah, yeah. Well, I taped for five hours and then I cut it to a good three minutes. That's the way it should be. Yeah. I once said, I, you know, I got my 15 minutes of fame, and without commercials, it's about four minutes. It's the same thing. Yeah. I got my 15 minutes of fame. Hey, four minutes isn't bad these days. Yeah, so I'm pretty happy with that. What direction are we going into now, sir? <laughs> what, a, what am I, the host? Yes. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just listening and watching things. Oh, we're going many different directions now. Um, see, now I'm on the spot. See, I feel like... I, I, that's, I'm like, I'll just breathe in. You have to buy my presence? Uh, kind of, yeah. Because I'm wearing all black. Because <laughs> I'm wearing all black. Oh, yeah? Why, why is it, that is kind of threatening. No, I, I, why, I, I seem like a th- I, th- I have a threatening presence. You, you, you look like you want to kill me. No, no not yet. <laughs> Never. <laughs> you got this on tape, too. This is how you get in trouble. <laughs> Even, think about that. Even if you joked about it and said, yeah, I want to kill you. And then I got killed and this was, po- and this was posted. You know, one of, one of my highlights was I, I used to drive a cab in New York oh, on a serious side. And I drove a cab and at the end... I, it was on a July, July 5th, not the 4th, on a hot, hot day, hot morning, 6 o'clock in the morning. And I went to go to this cab company, to, you know, to start my day. And I go in, and I thought I heard firecrackers. But it wasn't. It was a cop in civilian clothes who was shot to death by a drug dealer. They thought, because I had checked in at that time, that I was the getaway driver. And I was extra- extradited back to New York as me being the uh, excess, uh, the, the getaway driver. So what was your question again? What was the question? Well, I, I don't think it's really a question, but people, pe- well, people seem to think you're suspect just because you might be at a place. You, you turn into a suspect. I became an audio, I was an audio witness because I heard these. Oh, really? Yeah, and, and, and not that, and they thought that because of my handwriting, Graphology, the study of handwriting. They thought that I had the same handwriting as the guy who who actually did it, because my handwriting is so bad. So, okay, now, now we gotta stop there. How in the hell can someone's handwriting look like yours? You're hieroglyphic. Yeah. Well, uh, this is the truth, and and I had to go back, fly back to New York, and uh, and questioned. Uh, Should have had a lawyer, but questioned on where I was and what I am yeah. and then he told me to get out of here I, in actuality I actually got picked up for Son of Sam did you believe did you that? Really? yes I did Wow. I, I flirt, flirted with this young lady it was a custard place I think yogurt at that time was the thing in 2000, 99, whatever yogurt stands and whatever and I wrote her a little poem and then I come back the next day and I go hey how you doing? how's everything? And two minutes later cop cars come on the sidewalk in Flushing, Queens, on Union Street in Flushing, Queens, put me in handcuffs and take me to the 109 precinct, which happened to be, this is real clear, you know, statistics. And they they questioned me for about three minutes 
And are you allowed to curse on the show? Yeah. No. And, and this big hulking detective in the 109 precinct said to me after three minutes, get the fuck out of here. Meaning he, he knew it wasn't me. Yeah. But this young lady happened to, as they would say, drop a dime. It's not even a dime today, it's a quarter. But drop a dime on me, and uh, and I, you know, so I've been to the wrong place. I'm home. I'm home. I'm home. I hope I'm at the right place at the right time for this interview, because I was just telling you places that didn't work out yeah, for me. Yeah. Um. And how long? How long were you driving a cab in New York? Oh man, I'm iconic. I mean, I'm known for. Uh, if you watch Last Comic Standing, they show me, you know, footage of me when oh, I yeah. drove a cab, and I would do my set at the Comic Strip, a great club in New York. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and then asked, you know, I even told a, a would-be passenger that I wanted to go to Kennedy Airport, and you're going from the Upper East Side to Kennedy Airport. That's like a thirty-dollar phone, thirty-dollar uh, cab ride. So I said to the guy, I'll give you a discount if you want to watch me for about ten minutes, take fifteen percent off the bill and whatever, and just and, and we'll get to Kennedy Airport on time. And I had that pressure of performing and getting him there, and I did. So I have legendary stories of of, of driving a cab and this and that. Oh, that's fun. Yes. <laughs> oh, but um, but dri- I mean, driving a cab just—you know what's weird? Okay, this is weird. I was thinking about this like ten years ago. Who would have thought that every single goddamn kid would want to be a cab driver right now? With Uber and Lyft. Well, you know, I, I today at this the yellow cab industry in Manhattan is horrific. I, there's been—I don't want to bring up the theme of suicide here again, but there's been cab drivers that have killed themselves because they can't meet their notes. There's Uber and Lyft or whatever they—you know—these independent. They have they have ruined the yellow taxi cab business, uh, you know, and because uh, they because the big part is getting that medallion well, right. Medallion, that was yeah. it peaked at like four hundred thousand dollars, and now I think today you can get one for six. I don't know the number, but the yeah. point is it's atrocious how the what happened to the taxi limousine yeah. commission yeah. and their their work ethics and and what happened to the industry. Yeah. It's sad because of Uber and all these others. I don't like it. I mean, I don't want to get in a car with somebody who has... I, I've taken... I try not to take Uber or Lyft, but sometimes I have to. And they'll have, like, mist. And they'll have candy for me. And they'll have water. And I'm like, this makes no sense to me. I want a guy screaming in Farsi on his phone and driving in and out of traffic, and I'll feel safer. Well, you should have been around when I drove a cab, because that's what I would do. I go, I, I got from where would you like to go to, to where? I, I, I cut all those words out. And then I would act like an airline pilot, and I would tell people uh, or person, uh, we'll be arriving in three minutes, and please have your money ready. I would act like an airline yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, captain, because right. it, it was an in-and-out business. And I would be going down, down 2nd Avenue, up 1st Avenue, yeah. you know, before that rush hour, because that's, you know, I would go from Allen Street, Lower Manhattan, Delancey Street, yeah. and skit scat. And as soon as I heard Brooklyn, it would kill my night, because it's a horror. You don't get traffic going back every to one ways and you know whatever but i drove a cab and then um and then that's interesting because you had in order you want them to have their money ready to get that to get out so you can get your next uh, i think that is holds today i think today everything is done through a computer so i i i would i'd have to take five courses in learning how to do that I don't think you'd even no, want to get into that. It's not, yeah, it's just not me. Yeah. So uh, I did that, and I had a lot of fun and yeah. a lot of different events and all that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah. yeah and, and plus just getting hailed, hailing a cab, like even in San Francisco. It was, for so many years, it was just so easy to just put your hand up and you had a cab. Now you put your hand up, and it's just like people just wave to you because there's no cabs. They're like, we can't make money. Uh, again, I think that it's been devastated the last few years, and by the plummet, plummeting of, of what the medallion was once worth, 
and I think that's maybe even a high rise in, in, in accidents because of the worryment of not only if you lease a cab, you have to pay them so much per, per shift, and then you have to pay for the gas too. So you have to make like $130 before you make any money. And that takes seven hours of work. How many hours do you have to make? You know, it's, 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 it's grueling, very grueling, grueling job. My, ex, my ex-girlfriend from like about five years ago, she was a stripper. And so she, what's that? I'm sorry to hear this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it didn't, it didn't, the, the relationship didn't go how I wanted, but um, she used to have the same kind of thing where you have to make like, you have to make your 60 bucks or whatever, give it to the house before you started yeah, making your money. I don't, I don't know the, the, the world. Of, yeah, but I'm saying, I guess that's what it, 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 it boils down to. Everything is so precise and condensed and whatever. And then, and it's, it, it, what would be funny is the cab, the cab life versus the stripper life, where when the lap dance almost is over, you can say, "Hey, get your uh, twenty dollars out. We're, all, we're, we're all, we've almost arrived, you know even what? if you haven't arrived." You know what? As if I'm from Brooklyn, if I went to a woman's prison with twelve hundred female inmates in heat, I would still have a problem. <laughs> I wish that. So let's move on from strippers. <laughs> So we so okay. Just to recap, we got we got um, towing cars in, and we got we got the stripper part in, and then um, talking about you know the the, the thing with this this is my step ladder, as oh, far yeah, as yeah. infringement. We'll move on to that. Let's what else? We we got we got the, what you're mad about today. Yeah. So um, what I'm mad about? It would take a few days, but it's good. Now I mean before that, were you mad about something yesterday, and then this was There's worse? A time I'm not mad. I, I live for madness. Uh, no, I, I, you know, as long as I got weights, you know, I, I sometimes I take it out. I'm kind of past the stage of going into a ring and sparring. Even I don't want to do that because even with headgear, sometimes you still someone clip you up here, you know, and so forth, or you get hit behind the ear and you get dizzy, whatever. So you know, your question is what? What was your question? Thank you for setting it up because even when, before we were talking. We were talking about, you know, we got to do that PTSD segment. Remember that? That was like about an hour ago. Yeah. So you just got diagnosed with that, right? Yeah, we'll leave with that. The diagnosis? Yeah. Well, uh, did we talk about the holdups and all? We, I think we went into that. Did we? No, no, no. Oh, we didn't do that yet? Did we do that? No, we didn't. Okay, let's do, let's do the holdup. Suicide seems to be the theme here. Uh, I should have my own whatever. Uh, Dude, these mics don't cost that much. You can do it. Uh, um, as far as uh, confrontations and this and that, what, what's the question? No, we're taught you're, you're, we want to hold up some muggings. Well, and you were excited about that right now. Muggings? You said hold ups. You were talking about getting held up or? Oh, no, I'm saying oh, how I arrived at post traumatic stress uh, syndrome. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that was, diagn- that was told to me. I, 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 you know, I love having so many psychosis because it's like another, I got another stripe. So I figured post-traumatic stress, man, this is going to be a large gold stripe, man. Because, you know, <laughs> whatever. And then I was told that, and I was like, me? Yeah. And you also have the breakdown of an angry 14-year-old black boy from Compton. So I got to hear post-traumatic stress, and I'm an angry young man from, black man, young boy from Compton. So in other words, I got anger issues. The problem is the post-traumatic stress came from real-life events, being involved in holdups twice, 
uh, uh, stick-ups, driving a cab, would you believe, on Halloween. And then one time on a hot August day, uh, these dudes came in with cabana shorts and everything and told everybody to hit the floor. And I had a chain, another sad story. Wait, so what was the location of that? Because everyone had to hit the floor. This was a trailer where a guy had like what you would call an independent cab company right okay. within the community. Okay. So this happened to be in Flushing, Queens. Okay. It's called Better Cab Company. Yeah. So they came in there on a hot day when all the cab drivers after their shift were playing dice. So they walked in there, uh, they walked in on a dice can, uh, game and they told everybody, hit the floor. I said, hit the floor and don't look at me. That's scary, man. Oh, and the dude's got, and the dude's by the, uh, by the door, and the other guy's patting everybody down, taking their materials, and the, the guy who's the dispatcher is cowering in a corner because they want him to open up the safe, and he's crying, you know, and, um, and I took vocal charge. I said, oh, give him the safe, give him the, you know, I started cursing to not take charge, but to say, hey, man, I, I don't want to get killed here. Right, right. So that, that was another one, and then I got held up on Halloween in a cab company with shotguns. And they were nervous, and that's real scary when you get somebody that holds you up that's that's nervous or amateurish, because that that gun go, go off. So it's been twice in that situation. In Manhattan, another time, uh, right over here, I got uh, a thing over here in Hollywood here with a, uh, a switchblade. Oh really? Uh, yeah, I, 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 a guy said something, and I, I shouldn't have retaliated. I said something, uh -huh. and then he said to me, "You're with the you're with the you're with the cartel, man. You're with the cartel. I cut you up, man." He takes out a switchblade by Ralph's on, on Hollywood on the corner. You at the cartel. And that just recently happened. And when, I, when was that? Like about, before I left this, about six weeks ago. Oh, right here by Ralph's. You with the cartel. And I saw the way he was holding the knife that, you know, usually if you hold a knife a certain, you might have a chance to grab it. But when a dude is starting to flick, yeah. you know, you can go for your interior thigh, yeah. your, 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 your vein or whatever. So... Yeah, I've been involved like that, so I got a little of that, but I don't want to end on that note. That's dark. Could we leave them with something light, man? Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll go from PT. So we got, so we got, we got PTSD, we got suicide. Um, we, we, we had the honor, we, we did honor Mitzi Shore from the comedy store. Yeah, so that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So she, maybe, maybe her, maybe she, maybe she popped by just to say, hey, uh, Jay, uh, mention me. This, this, this podcast has about five listeners. Mention me. Yeah, you know, uh, some comics, you know, or entrepreneurial co comedy types, you know, owners, they have the warmth of a burning orphanage. <laughs> but, you know, she's basically one woman that I, I love the feistiness. I just yeah. love that, that whining, driving force yeah. who really told it like it is. And you don't see many, I don't see a lot of people who are very straight up. There's always a story, you know, oh, I'm going to do this, we're going to do this, we're, you know. I, here, you know, as Jackie Mason goes, well, everybody in this town has a, a, a card. Everybody has a card. I produce, this is what I produce. Oh, I produce right, right, cards. Right, right. That's what I do. I produce cards. And this is what it really is like that, yeah. you know. you know. So I, I like people who are really str straight and honest about it. And I have problems, maybe on the next podcast, we'll talk about authoritative figureheads. Yeah. That I have problems with that. All right, Doctor uh, Deshane. Yeah, yeah. So okay. So that in three months from now we'll prep for that. Um, I had a I had another question when we were talking about. Oh, you know, nobody says no in in Hollywood, so it must be refreshing for someone like Mitzi to come in and go, no, you suck. Where? Well, you know, again, the way they would flock on a Sunday at eight o'clock because she yeah. looked to scrutinize new talent, yeah. and the way these comics flocked, they like mice. They didn't want to go in front of her. Yeah. 
because they knew it could be termination. You know, at the end, end of that, that's it, you're done. But I always loved that. Uh, Dice Clay was like that. I said Bobby Lee. A few few comics would ever challenge that event because they because that's not that's not a real. You you got to go up under any heading, and I felt that was kind of you know. And then um, did the comedians that, uh, like, when they would bounce and get out of there, did any of them and really go? Would, and then they'd come back when they know she was done at 10 o'clock. She would look at comics between 8 and 10. She'd come up with yeah. her little entourage and watch certain comics. And yeah. then as soon as her, they left, she left with her nurse. She, she was sick, too, at the time. Oh, okay. They would all, you know, and, and then they'd all come back. Right. They'd be on the patio like Weird. pussies. Did any of them? Did any of them get to uh, like make it to the next level? I or I can tell you that I just meant I, I just a multitude. Is the word multitude? Yeah, multitude of uh, of, of comics. Yeah. Is that the way to say it? Yeah, that thank great. you. That's great. That like the Bible. <laughs> yes, a multitude who just who ran for the hills, wow. ran for the hills wow. because of the fear factor of rejection, yeah. or being rejected, yeah. or done. Yeah. And I always loved that. I love challenge, man. Yeah. So tell your fans out there, I'm looking for challenge. And if they have any, through you, man, any work, any outlying areas, uh, I'll take three days at the Plaquestone in San Francisco. It's a four-star hotel and, 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 and money and maybe your pin number to one of your, uh, what do you call those cards? The pin number. 18. Yeah, if they can give me that pin number. And, and, give me and where, would they, where would they send that, Jay? No, I don't want them to send me anything. But just if I go there, they, they would just the, the, my audience give me per diem money. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just want per diem. I love that word, per diem. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if the audience just knew to give you fifty bucks for two meals? I really sound like I'm homeless. I'm not too far away. You know, I was going to move into a luxury building. Did I tell you? A luxury building, but they had no loitering. The building didn't have any loitering, so I, I didn't move in. If anybody needs me for work, uh, this is my. No, it's about it. Jay, you're you're a funny man and a rock star. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, and I and I thank you for the opportunity. Thanks, man. Thank you. Our guest tonight on Drinks with Tony is Edward Furlong. His filmography includes co-starring with Arnold Schwarzenegger in the ter- in Terminator 2, and playing a skinhead in American History X. Tonight we're going to focus on his film that played a couple of weeks ago at the San Francisco Indie Fest called Jimmy and Judy. Here's Eddie Furlong. And um, so the camera is uh, really intimate with you on the film. Um, were, were you intimidated by some of the emotional scenes that you had to pull off with? Uh, the well, what was kind of intimidating was um, more than anything, I guess, was like the fact that everything we were shooting was masters. And uh, usually like in film, um, it always looks so nice and everybody gets their lines right because we got like editors and there's like shots and you can screw up and you can be like, oh, God, I messed up that line. Let's go back. Let's do it again. And uh, the f- movie is like filled the brim with dialogue and one shot like masters because basically the idea behind the movie was um, it's like kind of like a pretty experimental and uh, had no idea if it was going to work but I think it was wor- it works um, it kind of is like you're supposed to be watching like a home movie that these two people are making and uh, um, and at the same time like move you and everything and uh, if you watch any normal home movies like that's what I kept thinking I was like oh dude if it looks anything like my home movies it's going to suck 
<laughs> but uh, it, it works, you know, because we had like a really good cinematographer. We got, you know, great directors, and we have, you know, actors that actually could memorize their dialogue. So it was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard you um had had some part in the casting process. What did you see in uh, Rachel that made you made you know that she was the perfect Judy? <laughs> Oh God! Um, well, that was a fun day for me because uh, I had to go there, and um, they were like, "Oh, you got to pick a Judy." Uh-huh. And um, well, actually, one of the questions was like, "Which one would you make out with?" I was like, "Ah, I'd probably make out with Rachel. She's pretty hot." Uh-huh. But um, I don't know. She also came in. She was really good. There was like uh, there was like uh, one other person that was actually really good too. But I don't know. There was something about Rachel that just was like um, kind of screaming out like. Judy, as cheesy as that sounds, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's weird, man. Like I've, when you go like, and you're on the other side of the casting process, because me as an actor, I go in and I'm always being like, getting like going in for castings and stuff, and oh. waiting out and like going in. And it's it's weird. She just came in, man, and she just rocked it. So yeah. it was kind of without a question. Um, she was Judy. So yeah. yeah. Cool. Was it your first? Uh, didn't we see your butt in this film? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is that the first time we've seen your butt in film? Um, maybe not, but it was the most, like, vulgar version of my ass, like, <laughs> you've ever seen, man. Like, my God. Like, I think you even see some nuts, like, maybe knocking there, you know? Like, I don't know. And, man, like, wow. Yeah, like, a movie pretty much, like, opens up and my ass is just, like, humping, like, right there, man. And, like, uh, it's huge. I was like, does my ass really look like that, man? Shit. (laughs) Oh, well, whatever, you know. Oh yeah, that, that, you just reminded me. That was a crazy scene when you had the uh, the black prostitute. Like, it's, yeah, yeah, it's like this black and white video. What was funny too, man, is I was like all worried and I had to be like buck naked when I'm doing this. There's a lot of stuff I had to be buck naked for in this movie, and uh, it was funny, man. I was like nervous, and it's funny, dude. Like the scene, like uh, when when you like walk out and like completely naked on a set. There's like a scene where I have to paint myself silver and I like be naked on you know and walk out and in front of like 50 extras and just be like hey what's up you know like how's it going and i've never done that before and i don't know if i'll do that again because uh man I, you know my schlong dude like it shrunk down <laughs> like dude like when you're under pressure i'm sitting there and i'm like oh come on like, dude i gotta look good and it's just like oh god and it's like and now i got like people looking it's like, but um it was cool. It was cool. And, uh, yeah, I don't know how I got onto that, but, yeah. So they didn't have a fluffer budget? No. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was funny. Actually, that scene, though, the poor guys, the camera guys, man, were like, because I'm like, it's silver paint. I'm freezing, and I'm like, oh, shit. You know, I'm like, maybe I should get some drinks in me. Maybe it'll loosen it up a little bit. And, I'm like, I had this great idea. I was going to walk out like a hard-on and just really freak them out. Yeah. Not possible, dude. Yeah. Not possible. You can't jerk off and have like camera guys staring at you, like, <laughs> you know. But uh. Yeah. Especially as you get older. Yeah. <laughs> I know, yeah. Especially if you're not super duper drunk, dude. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, it's kind of trip, man. So there's like a lot of things, man. Like in this movie that were like first times for me, man. Um. Um. Yeah. 
I mean, you know, in puberty, if, uh, yeah, you know, a slight breeze from the west would give me a hard on. So <laughs> yeah. I know, I know, I know. It's true, it's true. But well, yeah, well, it's like if you like you're under pressure, man. You come out and like, and and it, it's funny, man. Like, cause I come out the way we shot that too. Like John, like invited all his friends over, and he's like telling me like, yeah, nobody knows, and they just think they're in a scene. You're gonna walk out naked and just be funny, and, yeah. you know. Yeah. Thanks, John. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Asshole. <laughs> so, um, let me see. I'm not sure if we covered this, but what, what does it take for you to get to that, like, real vulnerable position? You got you, you have some monologues that are, you know, you really got to hit yourself, you know, to hit your vulnerable self, and you're on a film set. What, what, what do you do, I guess? Yeah, to get to that point. Um, I don't know, man. It's, like, kind of, like, it's cool. That's... It's kind of the cool thing about being like an artist in general i think um is uh like in this world we're like you're not really allowed to express your vulnerable points you got to kind of put your little shells on and stuff and uh it's great because like acting just gives me an excuse to be a s psycho man i mean it gives me an excuse to you know really like delve into that kind of stuff and for me man it's therapy so it's like just to get into that to be in a scene and like um you know really feel the emotion of it it's fun for me man I, I you know that's why I'm an actor it's like um and making those scenes like as real as they can be you know and like the more vulnerable scenes with like you know Rachel and stuff uh yeah it's weird man you just like uh it's kind of like uh, you have to, yeah, you have to kind of take yourself to, like, this sort of, like, place where it's, like, because I would never sit there and be, like, oh, my God, you're the, like, beautiful girl. Even if I felt that way, you know, it's, like, so, yeah, thus I'm an actor and it's a character, you know, but at the same time, man, that's, like, you draw from real emotion and, like, you know, real feelings that you felt before in your life and uh, it gives you an excuse to kind of, like, maybe try to, like, paint a picture of what those felt like and... You know, and I think sometimes, like, and how I get there is just feeling those emotions, you know, and yeah. and uh, hanging on to them, I guess, you know. Uh, is it hard to come out of that after this, uh, the shot is taken? No. Really? No. Some people it is, though, man. It's like, yeah. uh, for me, it's a relief, dude. I'm, like, excited to go home yeah. and play Xbox or whatever the hell it is, you know. Like, I just... Um, uh, but yeah, I don't know. There are like some of those actors that are like really like you know like I'm, I'm a homeless person. I'm gonna sleep on the streets yeah, yeah. and like you know, yeah, screw off, dude. <laughs> I'm just like acting, dude. Yeah. The um yeah the method the Harvey Keitel yeah, way right. Yeah. <laughs> so um so what was the connection that you felt with um the script? I guess the script was brought to you by your agent. And you read it. Um, what did you? What What was the connection that you felt toward Jimmy? Um, actually, just my first time around the script when I first read it, uh, I was just like cracking up at the dildo scene, um, and I was like, "Dude, this movie is sick. I need to do this." And I was just like, "It's rare that I actually laugh at a movie when I'm reading it." Um, and uh, I don't know. There was just like a lot of things, like the naked silver thing and the 
the fact that it was going to be all shot in masters, like more than anything, like just that I've never really seen a film that was like this. Um, I thought for me it would be like um, a good like test to see if I could do it, kind of. And uh, I always like a challenge, so you know this movie was pretty challenging to me. And um, yeah, so I mean that's kind of like what drew me to it, yeah. you know, at first. And you got to beat the shit out of a car. That was cool, man. And I didn't even like I had no idea that like I was gonna be able to do that, but. Yeah, I got to beat the shit out of two cars, which was even better. But yeah, they just like said go to town. And you know what's funny, man, is I didn't know that um, I didn't know how it would be like to beat a car. And I've always wanted to break a car. Like I've always wanted to take a baseball bat to a car because that's fun, dude. Like, <laughs> and dude, like it's hard, man. Actually, because like those windows are strong, man. But uh. Yeah, no, it's great, dude. Like, oh, that was so much fun. It was a real car, too, and I just got to, like, yeah, go to town, and there's, like, no order of what I could do. I just could go to town and just, like, okay, go destroy that car, yeah. you know? Yeah. Oh, it was so much fun. <laughs> yeah. I know, like, everybody's like, dude, we're so jealous of you. You get to go. You have the funnest job in the world. You get to go beat up a car with a baseball bat. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Um, do you prefer... Um I think I, uh, from when I, I just talked to Rachel, uh, your co-star, and she said there was two days of rehearsal uh, before shooting. Uh, do you prefer re rehearsal, or do you prefer getting right on the set and kind of having your character on your own? Uh, I don't know. Like, um, it's like re rehearsals, like uh, <laughs> rehearsals, like uh, kind of a weird thing for me because um. A lot of people like to like uh, rehearse as like you know sort of like a, let's do the scenes like in this room right now and pretend we're on the set and that usually doesn't like really work for me because um, I don't know it's kind of hard to sort of like feel it unless you're really really there and you're just like I don't know it's like on the day as weird as that sounds um, but I like I think it's good to like have people that you can ask questions you know what i mean and i love asking questions about what they think and like where i should what i should do and like you know um and yeah i like to have a little bit of time to sit down and like actually just kind of like talk about ideas of what we want to do you know versus like actual like i don't know rehearsals like maybe can ruin it in a way too because if you've played it already like a few times then like once it gets there it's kind of dulled down and like some of those weird kind of like emotions that come out when it's not rehearsed is like actually what looks cooler and it's in in some ways you know yeah. i don't know you've uh crossed paths with uh ed bunker a couple of times in your career yeah. um i i think he's amazing are you a fan of his writing have you you know what um uh i read animal factor and i I uh, never really finished, like, Little Boy Blue or anything. Like, um, oh. I should read more. Like, actually, ever since I've been an actor, it's like, I read a lot of scripts. So by the time, like, I'm done, like, reading scripts, I'm like, I just want to play video games or something, you know. But um, he's he's great, man. I mean, and uh, 
the world like i mean he he's he was in prison and like you know i i've worked with he he's like friends with danny trejo and you know all these guys man and they've lived some crazy crazy lives and that's like yeah he's like he was an interesting cat dude like he um I got to really like, you know, kind of like uh, talk to him a lot about like what prison was like and what he would do to kind of pass the time and, you know, um, they were in prison for like 16 years. Yeah. So, dude, you change when you're in prison for 16 years and it's it's just a trip, man. And he's got like, uh, yeah, he's got like, I, I don't know, like, I, I, I don't even know if like the movie like animal factory does like justice because he was like kind of writing about sort of like him but i mean uh... oh i highly recommend confessions of a felon if you want to read one book by him it's a kind of the autobiography of uh his years in prison and um you see a lot of animal factory in it, it, oh, it really? yeah it's cool it's really good sweet yeah um and also i just i just saw a screener of nice guys which you had a um, small part in. Um, it was with Danny Trejo's production company. Oh yeah, I didn't see that yet. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I well I um I got in touch with the director because I, I told him I was interviewing you, and I thought you had a bigger part in it, and I was kind of disappointed. Um, but Ed Bunker's in the beginning of that film too, before he died. So that, I guess that was his last film. Yeah. Yeah. No, he like recently died. Um, yeah. Uh, Nice Guys. Oh, you know what? I'm thinking of another movie now. Okay, so Nice Guys was the one that Trejo produced. I did, like, a bunch of, I did, like, like a few movies that were, like, for friends and stuff, and one of them was Nice Guys, where I did, like, the small part. Right. And I come in, and I'm like, uh, was it with Jay Muse and stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. How did that turn out? Was it all right? Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's his name? Uh, Nemec. Um, he's, he was the lead in it. I'm blanking on him. He was in Parker Lewis, Can't Lose, and um, okay. yeah. Okay. Let's just pretend we know him. Yeah, he's we'll really good. Out. Yeah. And so, so some of the co-stars that you've worked with are, are you know, legends. You know, like William, Willem Dafoe or Ed Norton. You know, um, I, when you when you first started on some of those projects, were you really intimidated by uh, working with these guys? Or, um, no, actually, like uh, to be honest, like I was. It's weird because actually, when I was a kid, like um, I was working with like some really really great actors uh, right off the bat, right after Terminator Two. Like I was working with Jeff Bridges and Walter Matthau and like all these like really great fucking actors and unfortunately like I wasn't like so like school on film yet so I didn't really know a lot of like, the work they did like I saw Jeff Bridges and I was starstruck from him from Tron dude like I was like oh, okay. you were in Tron <laughs> I don't know like um you know but it, yeah no it's time goes on man it's like it's lucky dude I've been very lucky to, like work with some great people you know and it's not like I don't know it's not intimidating it's like um you know, I just try to go to, like, the movie and, like, thinking, just keeping it, like, as real as I can on my end. And as long as I'm doing that, then it's okay. Yeah. You know, and if they come out looking great, then great, then the movie will be good. And if I come out looking better, well, yeah. Yeah. I expected it. What can I say? No, I'm joking. 
Yeah, no, I did a, re- a, a reviewing of Animal Factory last night as I was kind of preparing for this. So it's fresh in my mind. It was, yeah. it looked, that looks like a fun film to do. It was. It was a trip, man. Like, um, I was like, uh, like uh, we shot in, um, I was just talking about this. I don't know if I was telling you, or, but I shot like an abandoned prison. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was like, uh, the, the prison was like abandoned for like four years. And dude, like the dilapidation that was going on in that building was sick, and it, it was just really haunting. Like shooting in that place, and like it just really gives like the whole vibe. And like I mean, the way I mean, like the paint was peeling, and I don't know, it's just a trippy movie to shoot. Yeah, you know, almost claustrophobic in some parts. Claustrophobic as hell, and you're just like in this like really, just like I don't know, just like. I, and I'm not like a bug person either. And there's like little like centipedes like running on the ground and shit. It's like, it's a trip. It was, it was cool. It was a weird set to shoot on. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks a lot. It's very cool meeting you. Rock and roll, man. Edward Furlong, our guest tonight on Powercat Radio and Drinks with Tony, 87.9 FM, Los Angeles and San Francisco. This is Ministry and Stigmata.